Well, hey, uh, if you have your Bible today, or if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to go to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, we're picking it up halfway through a story here. Last week we had the privilege of hearing from a couple of missionaries, Eric and Rebecca Harvin. Uh, I don't know about you, but man, I was really encouraged by their story. If you missed last week, I'd really encourage you to go on our website, go down to last week's message. Uh, you can hear that. It's also on podcast as well. So if that fits better with your schedule or how you like to listen to things, uh, that's available. It's on the website. Really encourage you to go back, listen to that. Really encouraging to hear their story. However, the week before that, we started to talk about this story here in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha, remember, he's the prophet over Israel at this time. God raised him up after Elijah to speak on his behalf to the nation of Israel. And so because Jesus hasn't come yet and made the sacrifice for sins possible for us to have that direct connection with God, in the Old Testament we have prophets. And so prophets are that connection. They speak on behalf of God. Elisha is that man. And right now Israel is struggling. They're being uh, fought against by this enemy nation. And man, they are just really, really struggling. We looked at a passage last week in 2 Kings chapter 6 that talked about a woman eating her own child. I mean, this is just terrible, terrible, terrible things. It's a horrible situation that they're in. And so things are really dire. They have no food. They have no money. They have literally nothing. Uh, we read a passage of scripture a couple weeks ago as well that told us it would take over a year's worth of money, of income, to pay for a donkey's head. Yes, a donkey's head. If that doesn't sound appetizing and you're maybe wondering if there's a cultural aspect, did they eat those back then? No, they didn't. It's as disgusting as it sounds. It's terrible. It's a terrible situation that they find themselves in. And at the end of the passage of scripture that we looked at last week, at the beginning of chapter 7, we found out that this is going to end tomorrow. Elisha said to the guy who's in charge of the army, he says, hey, listen, tomorrow this is all going to end. Prices are going to be back down to normal. Food, it's going to be back available the war, it's going to be ended. And so if you remember correctly, at the end, or I'm sorry, at the beginning of chapter 7, the end of the message that we talked about last week, Elisha said this, and the captain of the army didn't believe him. And so we're going to find out that what Elisha said is actually going to come true, and there's a consequence for this commander of the army. So follow along with me in 2 Kings chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 3 where we left it off a couple of weeks ago. This is what it says. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. And if we stay here, well, man, we'll, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up, went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as, and, uh, as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. They entered one of the tents and ate and drank. They took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent, took some things from it and hid them also. And then they said to each other, what 
we're doing here is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. So let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the army camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are starving. So they have left camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get them into the city. One of the officers answered, Have some men take five horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be all of these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they selected two chariots with their horses, and the king sent after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go, find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong fight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. The people went out and plundered the camp of the armies. So a saw of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two saws of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord has said. Now the king had put the officer, whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway. And they, he died, just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house. It happened as the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow, a saw of finest flour will, be, uh, will sell for a shekel, and two saws of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer uh, had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. We're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture. You might be looking at this and going, uh, this is kind of weird. This is kind of a weird passage of Scripture. Uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about uh, how we can apply this to our own lives today. Before we do that, though, uh, let's just go before God in prayer, and let's ask him for his help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's good, that it's perfect, that it's authoritative over our lives, and that we can lean on it, that we can trust it. God, you haven't left us here with no guide, no help, but Holy Spirit, you have come to help us, and that you've given us your word. And so, Father, I pray that we would lean on your word today, that you would help to apply it to our lives, that we wouldn't just be hearers, as you say in the book of James, but that we would be doers of your word. And so, Father, help us to be doers of your word today. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you soften our hearts to your word? If there's something you're calling us to, would you soften our hearts to that? Would you give us the wisdom and the know-how to be faithful with what you're putting before us as we take a look at this? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, hey, have you ever been overwhelmed uh, before? Raise your hand if you've ever been overwhelmed. Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying, right? We've all been overwhelmed 
in our life before. And sometimes you look at a project, sometimes you look at a situation in your life, and you go, what did I just get myself into? Um, I've shared this with you before, but my wife and I uh, are working on fixing up our home, and we've uh, done that to our, our starter house as well. We fixed up the whole house. It took us years and years. We finally got the whole house fixed up, and then we moved and started over. Uh, we're not very smart, but we're in the midst of a couple of projects now. The last project we did was a bathroom, and there's a point in every project that, that we do, and this last one I think just hit me especially hard. There's a point in the project where you've demoed everything, and like, it's like super exciting demo, right? I mean, who doesn't want to swing a hammer and break stuff? I mean, that's just, that's just fun. But then you get things down, and you get them cleaned up, and like things are down to the studs, and you just look at it, and you go, what did I get myself into, right? I had a fully functioning bathroom. It was old and gross, but it was fully functioning, and now I've got studs and bare floors, and like, what did I get myself into can be overwhelming and in your life maybe you've been in that situation maybe not with a home improvement project but a project at work your boss has put something on your plate and said hey i need you to take care of this and you're looking at it and you're saying i don't know how to do that maybe you're looking at a situation in your personal life maybe in your marriage or your relationship with your kids and you're saying man that's really hard what did i get myself into here i i, I don't know what to do i'm overwhelmed I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of this. Maybe you're looking at a financial situation in your life today. You're saying, man, I bit off more than I could chew. I don't know how I'm going to handle these payments. I don't know how I'm going to take care of this debt. I don't know how I'm going to make it to the next month, right? And and you just look at things in your life and you're saying, man, just overwhelmed. There's, There's too much here. I don't know what to do. There's some guys in Scripture here, and this passage of Scripture starts off here in verse 3 with four guys who have leprosy. And I kind of feel like that's probably their position in life is they're looking at this and they're saying, whoa, um, yeah, this is really, really bad. If you had leprosy, uh, you would be kicked out of the city. They didn't want this spreading. Uh, They thought you were unclean. And so uh, they were just following scripture and they would say, hey, listen, uh, God told us if you have leprosy, you you need to leave, okay? And so they would leave and then they would kind of get people's scraps. They'd get people's leftovers food That's typically how they would be surviving. However, because of the situation in Israel, there were no leftovers. There were no no scraps. These guys are literally left to starve to death at the edge of the city. And they literally say this. I I love this line that they have in verse 3. It says, why stay here until we die? They know their fate. They know that if they stay here at the edge of the city and do nothing, they're toast. They're dead meat. They're not going to survive. They're literally going to starve to death like the rest of Israel, but they'll be the first to go because they lived on people's scraps. And so they have this logic, right? And this is really, really good. They they start to just think through different options. And they say, well, you know, if we go into the city, right? This is, yes, it's breaking the law, but we go into the city and look for food, but they say, hey, listen, there's a huge famine there. Okay, there's no food there, so we're going to die. But if we go over to the camp of the armies, this is the enemy uh, army that is warring against Israel right now. They say, hey, we could go there. They have food, and we'll surrender. And maybe they'll let us live. Maybe they'll take us as like prisoners or something. And if they kill us, they kill us. But listen, we're going to die anyways, so it's worth a shot. They literally go, hey, listen, we got maybe a 10% chance. Everything else is a 0% chance of us surviving. If we go and surrender ourselves, we got like a 10% chance. Let's give it a shot. What's the harm in it? And so they go over there and they said, 
Uh, it was at dusk when they go and they reach the camp, and nobody's there. It says that the Lord caused these guys, and we don't know how God specifically did this, but it's very clear in Scripture that it was God that caused these people, the, the enemy army, the armies, to leave. They, they heard this great sound of these chariots, these horses. They had the thought, oh man, Israel called in one of their neighboring armies, maybe Egypt, maybe the Hittites, right? They've called them in. They're helping them out. We got to get out of here. Uh, we're not going to survive. We're not ready for this. We got to get out of here. And so I want you just to think about this for a moment. Like these guys, they go in to this camp. There's nobody here. You're starving to death and there's resources. I mean, could you imagine like the, the, the look on their face like, oh, what? This is amazing, right? Like this is incredible what they've stumbled upon here. I want to point out three things in this passage of Scripture. If you feel like you're overwhelmed this morning in a certain situation in your life, or maybe you just feel like, man, you're just kind of stuck in a rut, right? Man, I just I feel like I do the same thing every day. I feel like my relationship with the Lord is not thriving. I still have one, but gosh, I feel like things are just kind of stuck in a rut. I've been doing the same thing every day, and I just feel like... Man, things are just kind of dry with me and the Lord right now. Or you're looking at a certain situation in your life and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. I don't know how I'm going to continue on here. I don't know how I'm going to make it through here. I want to point out three things that we need to realize in the midst of that situation. The first thing is simply this. God has a job for you to do. God has a job for each one of us to do. And it's interesting, these lepers here, they don't really do anything, do they? All they do is they get up, they walk, and they look. God did the rest. God did all the heavy lifting. He called the Aramean army away. He, he deceived them by calling them away from them, causing them to hear noises that weren't actually happening, right? He caused that to happen. God did all the heavy lifting. All these guys did was get up. And sometimes I kind of feel like God looks at each and every one of us, and he goes, hey, listen, I'm here to do the heavy lifting. I'm here to do the hard part. All I need you to do is get up and walk. Get up off your chair. Turn off the Netflix. Stop scrolling through reels. Get up and do something that I'm calling you to do because God has a job for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Look at this. That we should walk in them. God created you with a purpose. You have a purpose in this world. God created you with a specific gifting for his kingdom to build it up right where you are right now. He gave you that gift. Hebrews chapter 13 puts it like this. May the God of peace, this is, this is like the benediction of the book of Hebrews. This is right at the end. He says, may the God of peace who brought again from the, from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Look at this, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God has good works for you to do. He has given you a job. You're probably familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16, if you've ever uh, been in church for any amount of time. Uh, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But we leave out the next verse very often. This next verse is really important. Verse 17 tells us that the man of God may be complete, 
look at this, equipped for every good work. Part of the reason that we look at Scripture is not just for knowledge, although that is good that we learn about who God is, but look at what 2 Timothy is trying to tell us. That Scripture here is not just for our learning, not just for our head knowledge, but that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is why on every Sunday morning we'll look at God's Word and we'll talk about how to apply it to our lives. Because God has given a job to each and every one of us. And we are to do that good work. And you might be saying, hey, listen, Josh, I, I, I'm not a pastor. I don't work in ministry. My job is not at a church. Uh, I, I'm a teacher. I work in an office. I work at a bank. I work for a construction company. I do things with my hands. I, I, I don't, I don't, that's not my job. But God has still given you his, things to do in his kingdom. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That means in your construction job, you can serve Jesus. That means in your office job, you can serve Jesus. That means when you're home, watching the kids, doing laundry, doing dishes, making dinner, you can serve Christ in whatever you do. God has a job for you in his kingdom. And I want to encourage you this morning as your pastor, I love you and I care for you too much to sit at home and watch Netflix and do nothing. Use this logic, the same logic that these guys did. If we stay here, we die. Why would we do that? Um, if you sit on the couch all day every day and eat junk food until your heart's content and watch Netflix, uh, your body will start to deteriorate, right? Um, it will grow, but it will also deteriorate, right? Like things are going to happen and you're not going to be able to walk in a few years, right? If, if you don't exercise, if you don't get up, if you don't do things, that's not healthy for your body. That's not how God designed our bodies, right? He designed our bodies to move and, and to do things and to work. He designed your life and your relationship with him in a similar manner, right? If the only spiritual input into your life is to come to church on Sunday morning to sing some songs and to listen to a sermon and to go home and not apply them and not do what God's calling you to do and then go through your week and then come back on the next Sunday morning, if that's all you're going to do, it's similar to you sitting on a couch and eating Doritos 24-7. Right? Your spiritual life will deteriorate. It's not going to work out right. Because God didn't design you like that. He gave you a job. He says, hey, listen, I want you to thrive in my kingdom. And that means you have a role to play in my kingdom. You have a very specific skill set and job that I want you to do. God created you with your specific passions with your specific characteristics in your life and your giftings. Don't let that go to waste. Um, I just mowed my, my yard uh, yesterday, and my rider uh, mower quit working on me. And it really stunk, and so I had to push mow the whole thing. And it was really terrible. But even after that, you know what the best part of mowing the lawn is? I still like mowing the lawn because I get to look back at it after you're done. This is the best part. You look back and you go, oh, yeah. That looks good. Oh, straight lines. Yep. Up and down. Yep. Looking awesome. And, you know, in your spiritual life, too, it's kind of like that. Like, if you ignore God's calling in your life all the time, 
and you don't do what God is calling you to do, if you know God is putting on your heart to fix your marriage, to have the conversation, to fix the relationship with your kids, to fix your finances, to be more faithful and be a better steward with what God has given you, like if you know that and you ignore it, man, life isn't good. And it's tempting, right? Like it's really tempting to just kind of skate through life and, and not put any of those things to work. But it doesn't feel good. You know what feels really good? is when you put in that hard work and you say, all right, God, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to apply what you're putting into my life. And then 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road, you get to look back. Just like you do after you mow the lawn and you see those straight lines. Or whatever it is that you like to do. You get to look back in your life and go, I know I was faithful with what God put before me. And you get to hold your head up high and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for calling me into your kingdom. Thank you for what you've called me to do. That's the feeling that I want each and every one of you to have when you look back in your life to say, thank you, Jesus, for putting this on my heart. It was really hard in the moment. It was really difficult to have that conversation. It was really difficult to put in that hard work. But I'm so glad you called me to that, God. And I'm so glad that, Holy Spirit, you helped me to be faithful in the midst of that hard work. Um, there's a, a, a phrase, an acronym that uh, many people attribute to the millennial generation. It's uh, FOMO, F-O-M-O. It stands for this, fear of missing out. Uh, so a lot of millennials especially, but Gen Xers as well, they'll, they'll struggle with the fear of missing out, right? This is a generation where things are getting on the internet, and your friend might post something on the internet, and you might say, man, I really wish I could have been at that get-together or whatever. I, I'm missing out, and I, I need to have that happen in my life. There's a phenomenon, though, that, that uh, people who study this sort of thing uh, are using, and it's a different acronym for the youngest generation, Gen Z they're calling it FOMU, F-O-M-U, and they say it stands for this, the fear of messing up. And as I look at the younger generation, and as I, I talk to them, and as I hear from people who work with them, I see that. that they have this fear of, of, of messing up. I even see it within myself, too, of this, this fear of, I don't want to mess that up. I, I, I don't want to do something that I'm not sure I can, I can do it correctly. I, I don't want to mess it up. In fact, my, my wife, she's a, a teacher, you guys know this, at, at Adam, she's an English teacher, and she'll say she has students who, instead of turning in a subpar essay where they can maybe get a D or a C, they might get 60 or 70% of the possible points available to them, they'll just turn in nothing because they don't want to mess it up. They don't want to do poorly on it. And so they get a zero instead of 60 or 70% of the points that are available to them. And sometimes I feel like in our own relationship with Christ and, and what he calls us to do, and we have that. We have a fear of messing it up. We say, God, I, I don't want to mess this up, so I'm just going to do nothing here. I'm just going to sit like the lepers were at the gate before they got up. I'm just going to sit here because I don't want to mess this up. And I want to encourage you this morning with 2 Peter 1.3. It tells us his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Here's the Josh Fisher version of that verse. God's given you everything you need to be faithful with what he's called you to do. God's given you the talent. God's given you the resources to do what he's called you to do. And it may not feel like it, 
I'm sure for these lepers, they had no idea what was happening, right? They had no idea what God was calling them to do when they said, why stay here until we die? And yet God gave them everything they needed. He did the heavy lifting. He did the hard work. It wasn't anything they did other than just getting up and trying. And I want to encourage you this morning. You feel like God's put something on your heart. Get up and try it. Get up and give it a shot. Maybe you've had the thought uh, uh, several times in your head, and, and, and it goes along something like this. Um, somebody should do something about that. So, somebody should fix that problem. Somebody should help those people. Somebody should do this project around the building, right? And, and maybe that's God putting, you, putting that on your heart to say, maybe that someone is you. Maybe that someone is you. Maybe God's putting that on your heart and you don't want to mess it up. And you're saying, I don't have the skills to fix that. But maybe you do have the skills to organize people that can fix that. Maybe you have the skills to say, hey, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to look it up on YouTube and I'm going to figure it out. Maybe you don't have the skills to, to go out and do that, but God has put people in your life and you could ask them and say, hey, can you, can you help me do this? And I feel like God's calling me to do this, but I don't know how to do it. Can you help me? Can you teach me? Can we do it together? And then from that, this can get done, what God has called me to do. And even out of that, man, who knows what God can do in the midst of that? Husbands, can I, can I have a special challenge to you? There's a lot of husbands that, that look at their marriages and they say, well, she's never going to change. She's, she's never going to change in this situation, so I'm just going to put up with a subpar marriage. I, I, I want to challenge you this morning with Ephesians chapter 5. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, his wife loves himself. I want to just challenge you guys. I want to challenge you to say, step it up. Love your wives well, like Christ loved the church and laid his life down for the church. Get up. Do something. You have a job to play in God's kingdom. You have gifts. You have talents. Get up and do it. Why stay here until you die? Why stay here until your relationship with Christ has dwindled like your body would if you sit on the couch and eat Doritos 24-7? Why sit here and die? Use the same logic that those lepers said. I'm going to get up. We're going to give it a shot. You may not feel like you got it. I'm going to encourage you this morning. Try it. Get up. Be faithful with what God has given you to do. I know I spent a lot of time on that one point. I want to fly through the next couple ones. They're real basic for you. Here, in verse 8, it says that the men they, 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 with leprosy, they get into this camp and they start to become guilty, right? Because they start to hide all these things. They're keeping it to themselves. And so, in verse 9, they make a wise choice. They say to each other, and by the way... Not every passage of scripture we get this much like commentary of like things that people are saying. This is a really unique one. And it's really cool. It says, what we're doing here is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. Now, I, I want to just point something out to you. This is not the point that I want you to write down in your note outline. If you want to write it down somewhere else, that's cool too. But uh, this is almost like I feel like I'm getting like a glimpse 
of evangelism here, right? Like this is the idea behind we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then it's our duty to say, hey, i got to go tell people about this. It, it, it's very similar. They're saying this is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves? Like that's not right. i got to go out and tell people. In this instance, it's just about physical nourishment, but in your instance, it might be about spiritual nourishment to say, hey, what God is putting on my heart is to go talk to my coworker about Jesus. Hey, what God is putting on my heart is to go help my neighbor with this project he's been struggling with so I can build up a relationship with him to go talk to him about Jesus and, and to share my faith. And I'm going to pray about that. And so they have this moment where they're like, hey, we got to take this. We got to take this to the rest of Israel because they're physically starving. They don't have enough food to give to their children. They don't have enough food to eat. They, they, they're starving here. We got to go take it to them. And so it says in verse 10 that they, they go to the gatekeepers. Remember, they're lepers. They're not really allowed into the city. Uh, this would have been really, really a faux pas for them to come even to the gatekeepers. I mean, this is, this is uh, risky what they're doing. And they, they tell them, hey, listen, we went to this camp and nobody's there. There's all these resources. You should come and, and, and get them. And so the gatekeepers, they pass this news along. And then the king gets up. Now, this is really interesting to me. We know from previous passages of Scripture that this king is not a guy that's very faithful to God. In fact, he's kind of a pessimist. He kind of has like worst case scenario all the time about him. And this passage is just, it just goes right along with it. He says this, I'll tell you what the Armenians have done to us. They know that we're starving, so they've left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking, oh, they will surely come out, and then we can take them alive and get into the city. This is, man... You want to talk about catastrophizing? This guy catastrophizes things. This is worst case scenario here. And so because he's not trusting in the Lord here, because he's, he just has this worst case scenario about him, he almost becomes paranoid. Man, this paranoia, it could really uh, almost paralyze us to do what God has called us to do. And you might struggle with that, especially if you feel like, man, I, I don't want to do that because I don't want to mess it up, right? Like, man... So many times we can just be paralyzed, just like my wife's students are to turn in that essay, right? We can be paralyzed to do what God has called us to do, just like this king was paralyzed. He's got all the food he could ever want right outside of Israel, right outside the city. And he doesn't do it because he becomes paranoid. And so some people around him, they're like, hey, uh, listen, why don't you have some guys go out and at least test it out? And they have the same logic. It's really interesting to me. They have the same logic as the lepers have earlier on in this passage. It says, yes, they will only be like all of these Israelites who are doomed. They're literally saying, hey, listen, you might send them out. The Armenians might attack them. They might be there. We're dying here anyways, right? It's the same, it's the same uh, logic. It's the same reasoning here. They're like, hey, listen, we're going to die anyways. We might as well give it a shot. And I want to encourage you again, if God's put something on your heart, do it. Why stay here until you die? Why stay until your relationship with Jesus dwindles? Because when you do things that God calls you to do, your relationship with him thrives. And so it says they selected a couple guys, they selected a couple chariots, and they went out there and they find out what's happened. And they come back and they're like, yeah, it's, it's true. They're, they're gone. In fact, it says, this is really funny, uh, it says that they found the whole road strewn with clothing and equipment. Could you imagine, like, the scene? Like, they're running away literally from nothing. Like, they're just all these Aramean guys that they're like, Ah, 
this is great. And it'd be like, it'd be like hilarious. To, I wish someone would make a movie about it. Because I think there'd just be like somebody like running away in their underwear or something. And it'd just be like screaming for their mom. I mean, it, was just, it would just be a funny, funny scene. And then they go and they find like their clothes all over the road, all their equipment and stuff. It's just funny. But one thing I want to point out here is these guys, these, uh, these lepers, they almost get distracted. They almost get distracted, right? They almost get distracted by the food, by the stuff. They could have kept it to themselves. The king, he was paralyzed by his own paranoia. When you realize you have a job to do in God's kingdom, the enemy doesn't like that. And he's going to try and distract you. Just like uh, these these, uh, guys with lepers were almost distracted, just like the king who was kind of paralyzed in his paranoia and who didn't want to go out and even check it out, Listen, the enemy's going to try and distract you from your job. The enemy will try and do that. Why? Because, well, 1 Peter 5.8 tells us this. You have to be watchful and sober-minded because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. And so be on your guard for this. As Ephesians 4.27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. If there's something that causes you to stumble, something that's causing you to sin, Get it out of your life. As Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Get it out of your life. Give no opportunity to the devil to distract you from uh, accomplishing what God has given you to accomplish. And as later on in Ephesians chapter 6, it will tell us, put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. Do that and, and don't get distracted. And listen, the enemy is crafty. He's really, really crafty, and he'll try everything that he can to distract you. Uh, As people of the church, I think the enemy, man, he has really wreaked havoc on the church. He's divided us. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at all the denominations out there. There's like thousands of them, and the belief differences between some of them I mean, I look at some other denominations, and I'm like, I think you believe the exact same thing we believe. Like, why are we divided here? The enemy has divided us. He's distracted us. He's made our differences bigger than probably that they are. And yeah, there are some denominations out there. They're out to lunch. I, I get that. They've lo- they left scripture. I get that. But there's a lot of them that haven't either. There's a lot of good churches out there. And sometimes we become distracted, and we start fighting against ourselves here and it's almost like when jesus saw the crowd in matthew chapter 9 it reminds me when he saw the crowd this is what matthew chapter 9 36 says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd sometimes when i look at the church like not just not just hillside missionary church but like the big church the 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 universal church i look at him and i go man does God still look at us like this, like we're helpless, we're sheep without a shepherd? Because the enemy has wreaked havoc. He's distracted us. The enemy can distract us with seemingly good things. Maybe the enemy has distracted you through things like politics. You've gotten really, really, really invested into something, but by doing that, you've put that over Scripture. Maybe the enemy has distracted you by saying, oh, that person over on that side of the aisle, they're they're a terrible person. I could never be friends with them. I could never be in the same church as them. Listen, the enemy will try and distract you any way that he can. And he'll give you two terrible options. And he'll say, if you're really a Christian, you have to choose this terrible option. 
You could say, no, I'm choosing God's option in the midst of this. Don't let the enemy distract you. One more thing I want to point out from this passage of Scripture before we run out of time this morning. It says that they went and they plundered everything out of this. And uh, what uh, Elisha said on behalf of God, this came true. And in verse 17, it tells us how it happened that this guy, this, this captain of the army who didn't believe Elisha from earlier on in chapter 7, like he dies. He, he actually gets trampled by the gate. And verses 18 and 19 repeat exactly like the, the God in Scripture here. He wants to be very, very, very clear. He's repeating himself, even though this just happened in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. We read it a couple weeks ago. It just happened, and yet he's repeating it verbatim. And then he already, it already tells us in verse 17 that the guy got trampled. And then in verse 20, it's like salt in the wound. It says, that's exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died, right? I mean, this is like salt in a wound. It's kind of like, ah, ha, 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 told you so, right? Like, I mean, he's really, really rubbing it in here. But I don't think it's to be mean to this guy. I think it's to be clear to the readers to say, hey, listen, if you doubt what God can do, if you doubt what God can, can accomplish in your life and through you, through you saying, yes, I will be faithful to what you're calling me to do, God. When you do that, when you ignore what God wants to do in your life, listen to me, there are consequences. There are consequences to ignoring God's call. So listen. Don't. Don't ignore it. Do what God has called you to do. And you might say, man, I, 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 don't, know. I, I don't know what God wants me to do. Spend some time in prayer. When he calls you to do something, don't allow your unfaithfulness to become a sin, as James 4.17 says. So whoever knows the right thing to do and, do, and does it, or I'm sorry, the thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is a sin. And we know that, yes, Jesus has forgiven us from sin, but still that sin hurts our relationship with God even after we are a believer. Sin damages that relationship that we have with the Lord. So don't allow sin to creep in your life through unfaithfulness. That when God calls you to do something, go and do it to the best of your ability. Don't just stay on the couch. Don't just keep watching Netflix and scrolling through reels. Do what God's called you to do. One last verse I want to point out to you. Jesus talks about faithfulness and being a steward of what God has put in your life. And there's a lot to this passage. I can't read the whole thing to you. We don't have time this morning, but it starts in verse 35 of Luke chapter 12, and it goes through verse 48. I want you to read that this afternoon or sometime this week. Write that down, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. If you have time, I really encourage you. It really relates to what we're talking about today. But I want to just highlight a couple verses at the end. In Luke chapter 12, verse 47, it says, That servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, look at this, will receive a severe beating. Verse 48 says, But the one who did not know and did uh, what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Listen, we've all been entrusted with an incredible amount. You have your time, your money, your resources. For those of you with kids, you have your kids. For those of you with a marriage, you have your marriage. For those of you with a lot of resources, 
You've been entrusted with even more. Listen to me. Be faithful with them. Take some time this afternoon. Take some time this week if you have the time. I really encourage you to do this. Um, and if you have the outline in your bulletin or you're on the Bible app and you have those reflection questions, these will lead you through this and tell you how to do it. But list out everything that you are in charge of. Take some time. Think about it right now. Again, if you have any amount of money or resources, God has said, hey, be a good steward of this. You're just a steward for a little bit amount of time. You're only on this earth for a finite amount of days. And it's your job to steward that time, that money, that resources, those relationships, your talents, your gifts. It's your job to steward those things well, to use those things for God's glory and to build up His kingdom, not to just sit on the couch and watch Netflix and scroll, scroll through reels and get distracted with the things that the enemy wants to distract you with. You have a job on this side of heaven. And listen, we can get distracted and we can say, oh man, I really want to experience this in my life. I really want to do this in my life. Listen, I guarantee you that in eternity, when you're in heaven with Jesus, He's got so much better than the things that you can dream up right now. You might be saying, yeah, but I have this certain trip, I've got this certain vacation, I have this experience, I want want to buy this item in my life. Listen, I'm not saying those things are bad or that you can't do them, but that's priority number two. Priority number one is saying, Jesus, I am yours, I am your child, and I want to steward what you've given me so well to build up your kingdom, God, to do your will in my life, not to waste it. Don't waste your life. So many Christians today, man, they just waste their life. They show up to church on Sunday morning and that's the only thing that they do in their spiritual life. Don't waste your life. Go out, do the things that God has called you to do. Be faithful with them and don't allow your relationship with Jesus to deteriorate and to suffer the consequences of ignoring God's call just like the captain of the gate did right here in 2 Kings chapter 7. God has given you so much Use them, be faithful with them, and do His will. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for all the things that you have given to us, for all the things you've called us to. And God, I just pray you'd help us to be faithful with them. Holy Spirit, would you lead us? If, If there are people here today who... Man, maybe they're just unsure of what you've called them to do. Maybe that that phrase even sounds a little funny to them, and they're like, man, I don't know what you want me to do. God, I pray that you would just make it abundantly clear to each and every one of us what it is that you have for us to do. God, if, if, if that's to go and have a conversation, help us to have that. Help us to give us the words to do that. God, if that's to, to use our finances better, I pray that you would just give us supernatural wisdom on how to budget and how to steward those, those, those dollars well. Father, I pray for each and every relationship that is represented here in the congregation, whether it be with a, a child or a co-worker or a spouse. God, I pray that you would help us to steward those relationships well, that we wouldn't let the enemy sneak in and get us distracted but God that in every conversation we have 
that we can point people towards you, Jesus, that we can honor you in that way, that we can worship you with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with our intentions, that every aspect of our life, God, we would surrender unto you and say, it's yours, it's yours, God. We give them to you, and we want to build up your kingdom. We want to glorify you with everything that we have. God, we give it to you this morning. I pray that we wouldn't lose this. We wouldn't leave this here today in the church sanctuary, but that we'd take it with us, that we would take these things that you've put on our heart, that we would put them into action. And as you say in your word, Father, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. Help us to put this, this thing that you've put on our hearts, help us to put it into action. Holy Spirit, I pray for supernatural relationships that, that, that we, could, we could have with each other as Christians and that we could share these things. That we could share these things with each other and say, would you help us to keep these things accountable? Would you help me to apply this to my life? Would you ask me about it? God, I pray for these conversations. I pray for these relationships. I thank you for a church body here who has stepped up to say, we will be faithful. I thank you for each and every mom and dad in the, in the room today. I just thank Thank you, God, that, that they are faithful, and I pray that they would remain faithful, that they would stay faithful in raising their kids in a way that would honor you. I pray a special prayer for each and every husband who's listening right now, that he would say, I'm going to step up, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to go out to do your will. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.